Hey, listeners, please support the Business of Pharmacy podcast by checking out our sponsors at bizofpharmpod.com. That link is in the description. You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Kyle, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today. My name is Kyle McCormick, and I opened Blueberry Pharmacy back in March of 2020. And we're a little different than any other pharmacy in that we are cost plus, uh, insurance free. And so coming here today to kind of do a check-in since we talked a little over a year ago now, and a lot of learning since then. So kind of just checking in on the model and the cost plus movement and where everything's at. Kyle, when I see your posts online with LinkedIn, and anytime Cuban is mentioned, I feel like it's got a little bit of a screw into your, like, hey, this is good, but don't forget about the rest of us that are doing it or maybe even doing it first. Do you got a little bit of screw into that? It's, yeah, and it's, my wife is constantly, I was look, on my cell phone the other night and she's like, what, is she, like, what are you looking at? I was like, nothing. <laughs> and she comes over, like it's Cuban on the screen. And she's like, I've t- I told you, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. And it's just really hard to like let it go because if nobody, if people, listeners aren't aware, back in March of 2021, we were under a year in business. We were doing okay, but very young. And Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company launched. They, were, they launched with the announcement that they would be manufacturing drugs. They would be selling to pharmacies across the country, and they'd be doing so in a costless manner. So instead of marking things with AWPs that are made up and selling to wholesalers that would add their own markup, they would just sell directly to pharmacies at cost plus 15%. So the manufacturing cost plus 15%. So how that all started, or my conversation with everybody there, was Mark Cuban tweeted out, albendazole. I don't know what they were doing, 20 bucks a pill, much cheaper than the current price. So I tweeted at him and said, that's nice and all, but patients at Blueberry can already get it for under $15 a pill, I think two pills for basically 20 bucks or something like that. So he didn't respond to the tweet at all, but I quickly get a message for, on LinkedIn from the CEO, Alex Oshmiansky, saying, Mark forwarded me your tweets. Can we talk? How is this possible? Like we're seeing a NADAC of $70, a whack of $80. Like, how are you buying it that cheap? Like, that's different than anything we see. And so they were a drug manufacturing company. They weren't a pharmacy. They weren't a direct competitor. If anything, they could be a future partner. So I had no issue with talking to them. So I told them all our whole business model and said, the pricing problem isn't in manufacturing. I can already buy a bottle of two pills of albendazole for five bucks. Like you manufacturing it and selling it at 20 is not a great deal. And so a fast forward and then a year later they launched their pharmacy, which was like the knife in of like, oh shoot, like I probably shouldn't have talked to them. (laughs) (laughs) They never mentioned that they had plans to launch a pharmacy, a direct competitor. They only talked about manufacturing. And so that's what started the spat back and forth of like, they continue to say that this is always what they were doing, that this is what they, like, they didn't lie to me when they, (laughs) when they they talked. So Yeah, it definitely hurts whenever I see that. It definitely brought a good presence and a good brand to, like, a lot of conversation has started because of that. So I can't really complain about that. My biggest fear is that because they are, they're doing everything but being the pharmacy. So 
what I mean by that is they claim to eliminate the middleman, but literally they're the wholesaler, the relabeler, the, the supplier. Like they're not the manufacturer yet, and they're not the pharmacy because Truebill is the pharmacy. So they're only middlemen at this point. We had Alex on this, and this was a couple years ago, and I think that they stressed the manufacturing. They were going to start off though buying it from somebody. And businesses certainly have a right and even a requirement to pivot. Maybe you want to know that before you share any secrets and so on, (laughs) but they have a right to pivot. But yes, they have pivoted away from the manufacturing idea and they're not their own pharmacy. So the two things that they've kind of have talked about so far, both the manufacturing they're not doing in the pharmacy, they don't hide the fact that they're not a pharmacy, but I don't think it shouts that most people, when they think of it, they think you're probably getting it from cost plus unless you go mm-hmm. to the website and things like that. Yeah. It just says powered by TruePill. So unless you read the FAQ, you don't know that even that TruePill is like the pharmacy. That you could might just, just be think... an app, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's not very transparent at all. I mean, even the way they do shipping costs is like, I up until like a couple months ago, I thought you could put anything into your basket and have a $5 shipping cost Mm. because it's like shipping costs added at checkout. But I didn't realize it's actually $5 per medication. Five per. So like if you're actually getting five pills, your shipping cost is actually $25, which isn't transparent cost plus at all. It's like, that's just another way to add on money. <laughs> Look at the bright side. It's not $5 per capsule. Right, yeah. <laughs> so my fear is that it's not true cost plus. And so whenever they launch their GoodRx competitor discount card that can be used at pharmacies across the country, which apparently they're launching with independent pharmacy partners, that becomes much less and less cost plus and more and more just the same. Like yeah. there's no difference at that point. It's just got cost plus on the card. But the philosophy and how things are actually priced are no longer cost plus at that point. Yours is coming more from the bottom up and adding, but somebody else who's just selling inexpensive medicine is probably going to not think about the cost. They're going to look at the going market rate and then come down from that enough to be competitive, but they're not coming up from the bottom. I want to give them credit because supposedly they are actually pricing it off of their acquisition costs. So True Pills acquisition cost and then doing a markup to that. So what are you saying were the differences? So the discount card is, that's just going to be the price. So then at that point, all the cost plus prices are based on True Pills acquisition cost, right? So some things they might be buying lower than oh, I see. independent I see. It's still acquisition, but it's based on somebody else. Right, right. So, so it's like no different than like CVS Caremark setting a Mac. <laughs> yeah, like, right. It's based on somebody else's price. Like this is independence yet again, just mm-hmm. agreeing to have somebody else be a middleman, have somebody else be a price setter. And yes, it is supposedly a more transparent way, but I've already heard online talk about the opportunity for spread in the cost plus pricing mm-hmm. with Mark Cuban because a true pill offers maybe Avaradarone at $183 a bottle. And then it's like the example I saw is like, oh, but I can buy that from X wholesaler for like 90 bucks a bottle. So yeah. even though I'm only supposed to be making cost plus eight through this discount card, right. because I can arbitrage that with the way I buy. But my counter is like, one, that's not cost plus because the cost plus should be based on that specific pharmacy's acquisition costs. That makes sense. And two, two, like those will come down. So over time, Every drug you dispense is at basically a $7 or less markup margin, which yeah. may not 
which may be good for some pharmacies, but I know a lot of pharmacies, a lot of geographies where $7 per prescription just doesn't cover costs. If you're going to come out and do it and base yourself on reality and upfront and all that stuff, you don't want to start padding. I mean, I can do it. I'm connected to the mafia, so I'm all tied into the PBM prices and all that kind of stuff, so I can do whatever I want to. But if you're stressing clarity and transparency and so on, you can't start saying, yeah, but that's seven true, but you know, when we do need 12 or whatever, so we're making it up here and all that kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. like if you're making it up on the prescriptions, then you're kind of getting away from your goal of you know, moving transparency away. and that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff. You're getting away from your goal of moving away from PBMs to... Yeah. Having a more transparent PBM, which is fine and all, but yeah, no. So yeah, it's to your question of, does it dig me? Yes, it does. Because the more I see of it, the less it's, the less it, it's original form. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the low, the more they're getting away from, from being the manufacturer, uh, the more they're getting away from being the ultimate pharmacy, the less of a true cost plus model it is, which just like exactly. really frustrates me. It seems to me you'll have to use that almost as a springboard to say, you all know this. And so this being big organization like that, Mark Cuban stuff, that piques people's interest and then you can put the twist on it maybe, you know, so you bring that whole group along and then maybe you can put the twist on it to say, here's why we're different still. Right. Uh, my biggest fear, which I know is not really a fear because we're first to market in the Pittsburgh area, first to market in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So we already have a brand, a presence, but kind of what's frustrating is because of the large voice that Cuban has, yeah. any independent that partners with them to do the discount card, all of our partners are like, wait, I can do this at cost plus here now. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not cost plus, but it basically then makes me sound like just a nuance, like a grammar, <laughs> because they don't care about how it is more affordable really at the end of the day. It waters down that term, and the term then starts to not mean anything, right? Correct. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My wife's sister, when we were dating, worked at Dairy Queen, and they were not allowed to call the ice cream ice cream. It was Dairy Queen. So <laughs> so if you were making a cone and it tipped over or something, when you're working back there, you say, ah, oh, damn it, I dropped the Dairy Queen on the floor. It was just like... <laughs> That was their own name, but it kind of was ice cream. And then it kind of, it's like, it yeah. was like a name game instead of being, yeah, yeah. it's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about. You're exactly right. I imagine it's how the allied milk producers feel about soy milk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but that's like, it. You can't call it milk because then, exactly, exactly. Right. It's like, you shouldn't be allowed to call this cost plus because it's not even a pharmacy. But we have grown tremendously since Mark Cuban has launched mm -hmm. because he brought such an awareness to that's the it. model credibility to the model is like, oh, well, Mark Cuban, oh, is that the same thing Mark Cuban's doing? Well, yeah, actually, we were doing it first, and they kind of learned about it through us. Yeah. Like, So it, it gives us a lot of credibility. So I can't complain whatsoever, but it still gets to me. <laughs> when I look at your stuff, and you can break it down on your nice website and so on, that's one thing. When I hear a bigger company, though, talking about cost and this and that, all I'm thinking about is the invoice on a car, suggested yeah. invoice. Once the car company says, we're selling below invoice, it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. And now invoice doesn't mean anything to me. So when the big boys start talking about costs, we're selling below this and everything, especially when they don't seem to be fully out there leading with transparency, yeah. it kind of ruins the whole name for me. So yeah. 
someone like you that can say, let me break that down. Let me tell you what we mean by this. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other big thing that as pharmacists that we can, we will always have the edge over is the service level component. And that's what really hits home. We've had patients transfer from Mark Cuban to us. We've never, as far as I know, we've never sent a script to Mark Cuban, but I guess they don't even call for transfers. And we've also recently, just this past week, we had a provider call and say, hey, we used to be sending patients to Mark Cuban, but we've had a couple of people have really good experiences with you all. And so we're just, we're now talking a lot about Blueberry Pharmacy to our patients instead of Mark Cuban's pharmacy. And so that was really cool. And it was nothing to do with price because I'm sure a couple of our drugs are maybe more expensive. It has all to do with being able to call and talk to the actual human within like a single ring of the phone. It has everything to do with like counseling a patient fully on the medication before they get it versus just label, count label stick ship, like all that stuff. So, so it has all to do with the service and not at all with the cost, which is kind of, I know that we talked a lot about the philosophy last time, but that's more and more the philosophy is that you get to set in the cost plus world, you get to set the cost that covers your service. And so whatever level of service that is, if it's purely a fulfillment model where you only need $3 to, to have a pharmacist check it and have automation count it, then cool. But if it's also a higher level service where you're doing full counseling and coordination of medications and actually checking for drug interactions, actually getting a full medication list, and you need to charge $10 for a prescription to do that or 15 or whatever, you can do that. And patients start to notice and patients will pay for that extra level of service. Now, we consider our costs to be, we do a 5% markup on the medication on, on our actual invoice costs, like our actual acquisition costs, not like the rebated invoice costs because we don't do, deal with the rebates. But so yeah, you get to set that percent because I think that's really important because initially it was like, oh, we'll just do cost plus 10, like forget about percent. But then I realized if somebody actually needs an expensive medication, say a $100 medication, 3.5% mm-hmm. is eaten up in credit card fees. So right, right, right away, if you don't have some kind of margin built into that for with a percent markup, you're eating those fees in your plus margin, which shouldn't be happening. The plus part seems like the pharmacy service. The cost seems more like still the bottle and that kind of stuff. I don't know where I've heard it, but I've heard and continue to make the analogy, like I didn't come up with this, but cost plus is just mechanics, parts plus labor. Mm. Plus is our labor, mm-hmm. parts is the cost. So maybe we should call it pharmacy parts plus labor. Yeah. maybe that would be a little bit more oh i get it now but people tend to get it but yeah it's a lot of the concept is that's our labor that's our whether it's counseling patients filling the prescription whatever that is that's the labor with mark cuban's place they had asked for independents that are interested in doing something along with them i bailed out for now though when i had to call them and talk about it in other words I put my name on this and then they said, well, give us a call and we'll talk. And it's like, I'm not good with people. I hate people. You know that by now, Kyle. And you hate them so much that you talk to them for an hour. Well, (laughs) I'm in control of this. Yes. I don't want to pick on them. I'm just saying more in general now, like when people make you give your email address and all that kind of stuff, or they'll say call for a price, that kind of thing. I'm always saying, if this is so complicated that you can't come across to me on a website and explain it to me, or even with a video on a website, explain it to me, 
Or if it doesn't jump out to me that quickly, the value of it, I don't want to call and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. That's just across the board. I just don't like doing that. Now, if it's a real specific thing, like I have a question, but not if it's like, call me so I can explain this business model. It's like, nah, that's too tough then. If you have to explain it to me and it can't be on a website, then no thanks for now. And it might be because the business model starts to sound a lot like good or X. Unless you really dig down and explain it to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kyle, so I love your guys' marketing online. We already talked about the blueberry not really being the blueberry color and all that. We talked about that last time. But last night I'm watching um, uh, True E Hollywood on YouTube, and it's so old that it comes on my screen as a square. It's not a 16 by 9. It's a square on my screen, and they're talking about one of my favorite shows, Gilligan's Island. Were you at the age where you could come home after school and watch Gilligan's Island every day? It's I've watched it like a handful of times, but no. Oprah was on whenever I got home. Oprah? Is that what you said? (laughs) Oprah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're missing out. Anyways, (laughs) you know the theme song, right? Yes, yeah. As I'm going to bed last night and thinking about talking to you today, I thought, you have a little story to tell. I'm thinking, Kyle should come up with a Gilligan's Island theme song for the pharmacy. Uh, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. I'll sit right Actually, back and you'll hear a tale about Kyle and his <laughs> cost plus drug and just go off on that. I don't know if you played around with chat GPT at all. But, I have um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we've incorporated that into some of our marketing, some of our branding yeah. in that one related to what you just described. One of our fan favorites Last year before AI, we had gotten a shipment of COVID tests. This was last year as in 2021, Christmas 2021. We got a shipment of COVID tests on Christmas Eve. And so I made a night before Christmas poem (laughs) that basically said, hey, limit one per, like it was like a full on poem that like one per customer, we have them, don't pester us with phone calls, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. We will sell out when we sell out. Like, and so- that was a favorite and people actually, so it was on our voicemail, like recording prior to getting sent to the pharmacy. So that way people didn't like ask us. Yeah. We still got a lot of people that stayed on to say, I loved your poem. <laughs> <laughs> we actually got a lot of people that then called, like said, Hey, you need to call this pharmacy just to like hear this poem. So it became like a really big thing. And so then again, this year I was like, dang, that took a lot of time to write that poem. And so I was like, I'm just going to have chat GPT write me a night before Christmas poem. And so, yeah, so we, it's now an annual thing where the night before Christmas, we put a recording on our, our, like basically the day before Christmas, the the last day that the pharmacy's open, we have a recording that patients can listen to. And people call in and say, I love your poem. They'll like send us an email, things like that. But related to that song, I should almost just say to ChatGPT, in, in the style of Gilligan's Island theme song, write a write a jingle there you for go. Blueberry Pharmacy Cost Plus Model. <laughs> I'll let you know what comes up. But yes, to, to the branding question. Don't let me know. Just give me your phone number. Yeah. I'll credit you. Mike Kelzer, co-author. <laughs> we were talking about invoicing here. Last week, I was reading something, and this one company, I think they were in Michigan, they got charged for price inflation for COVID tests. And they're charging like 80 bucks a test or something like that. And I'm thinking, I don't have a ton of thought on price inflation, but I thought, well, maybe they bought it for higher. Maybe they bought it from someone for 
40 or 50 or 60 and they were doubling their price. So it ends up, I was sort of right, but the reason they got in trouble is because they got the invoice from another pharmacy and let's say the invoice was $40 per, they priced it at 80. The problem is the guy owned both pharmacies. So he made up an invoice <laughs> from the one selling it to his other pharmacy for 40 and it was 80. And so the FDA or whatever didn't like that so much. And that's just another story of like, you can show me your cost. It's your cost plus. But if you're buying it from the wholesaler that you own or something like that, it can get pretty wonky. Yeah. I don't understand price gouging, price inflation really that well. In Pennsylvania, the attorney general cracked down on some retailers around the price of masks and hand sanitizer and things like that, that they were charging early on in the pandemic. And it's like, hey, like quit bugging us. We're buying these masks at like regular old blue surgical masks at like a dollar a piece. So us charging $3, $2 for a mask is not unreasonable. It may seem ridiculous, but it's a pandemic we're talking about. And meanwhile, like on Amazon, they were just as expensive, but attorney general can't crack down on big Amazon. It got me thinking like, oh, there's a lot of talk about how Martin Shkreli price inflation, but every time CVS bills through an imatinib, their list price is $15,000 on a drug that only costs them invoice 26 or something like that. Like, how's one thing wrong during a pandemic where the prices are actually inflated versus like every time that imatinib script is filled at CVS especially, their usual and customary, their list price is thousands of percents higher than what they actually pay for it. You know that with independent pharmacies, I mean, the auditors, either they want to make a name for themselves or they want the money, but, you know, they pick on the independents. I got our governor in Michigan here going after people during the pandemic. Some guy frying eggs in the morning for his people in some podunk little town. They're on that guy for this or that. And here the whole time, there's all this huge companies, all the problems in life you have with these monster companies when they're picking mm -hmm. on some guy just to show they can do it and <laughs> throw their weight around and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, fine, but there's bigger fish to fry. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which speaking of bigger fish to fry, one of the biggest things in our world that I was excited about was the GooderX FTC fine yesterday. I don't know if you saw I that. I saw that right before the, going to bed, but it was only like... <laughs> It was only like one and a half, 1.5 yeah. million. I think they brought in like $800 million of revenue last year. And so it's like less than a day's revenue. As I remember the article now, they were showing that they were selling information back to the big chain pharmacies of who looked up what medicine and so on. So then you could send Mrs. Smith a special note about this or that because GoodRx revealed which was supposed to be private, that Mrs. Smith was on this kind of medicine kind of thing. Correct. Yeah. They're basically using cookies and things like that, selling the data to like Meta and Google for tracking and whatnot, like that using their cookies searched for X drug or purchased X drug through their telehealth platform, things like that would in theory be HIPAA protected. But I think GoodRx's claim is that they're not HIPAA really but it might not apply to them since they're not an insured, they don't mm -hmm. deal with insurance and things like that. So I guess they also have a disclaimer, but 
Yeah, I didn't read into it too much, but it finally it was like, oh, they're finally frying the big fish. <laughs> it's like very minorly, like that's a very slap on the wrist, but like that's that was a step in the right direction I saw it from the FTC that was pretty yeah. exciting. As pharmacists, we're always told subtly to tell our customers that if you use discount cards, they're going to sell your information and this and that. And I had no idea now if that was true. I just thought it was a good line. I didn't use it a lot, but I thought it was a good line to tell people. So when it actually happens, you're like, wow, I knew it was there, but I kind of thought we made it up. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think there was like, I'd read an article in the past about how like GoodRx actually came out and said, hey, we did do that, but we're no longer doing that. So mm. I'm curious like what time frame this F FTC thing was about. And about yeah, I mean, I think they were fairly open in the past about using, and I, I don't want to say it was like, I don't I don't know how they were looking at the data to say mm -hmm. this IP address was searching for, was searching for X amlodipine and then selling that to, so that you could get marketed blood pressure cuffs or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I think they kind of got away from that because of all the scrutiny, but yeah, that, that's a common, common thing that we tell patients and to have it actually come out and be fine for that is now like patients hopefully will see that we're telling the truth and stop using the cards a little bit more. GoodRx has done a pretty good job online. They've got pharmacists writing for them and they've got some pretty decent articles online. I guess it brings me to the point of thinking too, though, it's like, that's what we talked about chat GPT, but brings up the subject too of what is a medical writer nowadays and why even look up GoodRx stuff online. We can go to chat GPT and get that information, but they do a fairly decent job of writing stuff. And I kind of get mad at myself sometimes when I'm in the pharmacy and I'm looking up an answer for a patient and kind of going online to see if it can help me a little bit. And I'm like reading a GoodRx article yeah. to them, kind of like paraphrasing it back to them. <laughs> and I'll throw in something about it. Don't ever listen to GoodRx because they steal your information. <laughs> but they write good medical content. <laughs> no, they, they really do. To. The interesting thing about that is their motivation for doing it isn't so much to help patients. It's that's all just a play for search engine optimization. That's right. Yeah, it's, you're not really helping out GoodRx by reading yeah. this. <laughs> so it doesn't feel too bad. But those are purely just to get, the more they mention the, the different drugs on their website, the more anytime somebody searches those drugs, GoodRx price yeah. will show up. That's so true. It's purely That's a, true. Purely an optimization play. One of the gals from GoodRx, I was going to have her on my show and... I think after I invited her, I thought to myself, I'm not sure what my motives are because one of my rules on my show to myself is I always present the guest in a good light. And so a couple of years ago, I had someone on for multi-level marketing, but I told her ahead of time, it's like, look, I'm going to go after you a little bit. I said, it's going to be in good fun, but I'm going to bring up the stuff on my mind. And she said, I don't care. Let's talk about it, this and that. But then the good RX cancellation came through. So I got my message that they didn't want to go there. Yeah, so they ca they canceled up you. <laughs> well, they set it up. If my yeah. memory's correct, they set it up and then they canceled. Realized you were going to hardball. And I wasn't. Not old Uncle Mike. <laughs> I'm not going to lay it to him. But you've got to be honest to the audience. You can't mm -hmm. just ignore something like that, especially when your base is on the same side of my thinking or our thinking. Yeah, especially when the base is... Paying the GoodRx fees. Kyle, I'm not sure if a year ago you and I could be sitting here 
during business hours talking like this. Does that mean that you've got some help on board? Yeah, I've we've grown enough to where we hired a, a part-time pharmacist. So I'm at home right now, which is, yes, definitely a different feeling than 2021 when we last talked, I guess, because yeah. we've had him all of 2022. And yeah, a lot has changed. I think probably when we last talked, our biggest day was probably like 45 prescriptions or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to go back in time, maybe a little higher. But we've now hit triple digits several times. Our average is probably in the 70s script count per day. Fantastic. We've got probably 600 direct members and probably another 600 members through our direct primary care partnerships. We are growing every day, some days adding as many as 10 new members, some days of every day adding a new member, but usually like now for below five members a day, I'm like kind of like, yeah, right. oh, it's a slow day today. <laughs> right, exactly. So so yeah, a lot of different growth metrics that's, that have been exciting and definitely a big difference. I, the fact that I even had an hour that I could step aside and talk to you without being interrupted by a patient just shows how slow we were the last time. Because now if I were in the fire, that's why I purposely stayed home today to do this is because I knew that I would get interrupted or the phones would be ringing in the background and things like that. So, so yeah, a lot looks different than we last talked. At what point did you think this was going to last for, let's say, at least another year? I know when we talked, you had the fire in your soul, but did it come a point where you could take a breath at all? Yeah. I mean, every day it's like, okay, we're growing, but uh, uh, yeah. when are we going to like make it? <laughs> I, I feel like every entrepreneur is like constantly like, okay, yeah, we hit this milestone now it's on to the next milestone. So it constantly feels like we're, I keep telling myself we, we got to do more, but I'd say several different milestones. So you first have your X number of script count day. That's super exciting. Yeah. Like now, early on, we opened March 2020, so it was March 20th, the state shut down, closed, not allowed out of your house basically for two weeks, for the next two weeks. So my initial metric was just, hey, did I see somebody today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. My next metrics were like, oh, 10 scripts in a day. That was exciting. Then 25. Now it's like a... Now I'm less driven by number of scripts, but more by the number of members signing up. And then we have different metrics like, okay, previously we we're doing all the work of signing up a member. And so patients had to, patients basically would call us. We do all the work of signing them up. Now the cool thing is like tracking how many people find us on their own and sign mm -hmm. up on their own using our website. But we still talk to every patient because there's nothing on our website. It's all Nothing's automated, so we just get a form fill out that says, I need these things transferred, and hey, we got to get your credit card information, all that stuff. But it's still cool to like have them do, like, that's a new metric that's like, oh, how many people did we get sign up on their own uh, online? Meaning, it was word of mouth that drew them to us. They found the process easy enough that they just did it themselves. So different metrics like just notoriety, recognition from local to national has been exciting. One metric that still stands out is like, hey, we're on to something. Hey, maybe this is actually something. Is Mark Cuban launching his own version of this, right? And that was very validating. It's just like, okay, but why? Give me the check to do it. <laughs> so, but that's still very validating. And I think there's different milestones along the way. What's now driving me, and I'm almost certain this is the future, is the fact a lot of it has to do with first principles. The purpose of insurance is not for low-cost predictable things. And that's everything that 
That's 90% of what pharmacy does. And so that first principle, knowing that adding an administrative burden to that process just drives up costs. So I keep telling myself that over time, we will keep wiping out those middle layers until we get to the lowest cost option of healthcare, which is just no middlemen selling directly to patients. And so I truly believe that we'll eventually get there for all generics. And that's what continually drives me is more that first principles approach to pharmacy. Um, Because I think we're growing every day. We've not seen a day that we haven't grown. We've not ever had a day we haven't added a new patient. So I don't see any slowing down. I don't see any cause for concern. That's why I've moved on to thinking, okay, now let's just do it for everybody. How do we get to that level where every generic prescription is filled without insurance? We're still coming up with the creative way of engaging patients. A lot of stuff that we do, like one of the very basic things, so basic, is our name is Blueberry Pharmacy, so we embrace that for everything. Everything's blue, packaging's mm-hmm. blue, vials are blue, but one thing that you know works well with patients is we get a blueberry dum-dum and we set up that out with our order. And so they get a little taste of blueberry for the road. Fantastic. But we get emails about, thanks for the blueberry lollipop. It's amazing. Like the fact that you, the patients, like that's what resonates with them, not thanks for the long conversation about this new medication I'm starting. Not Like they appreciate that. I know they do because they'll say it during the call, but it's like the follow-up of, hey, this stood out. This was different. And I think pharmacies and you know, independence, that's one of the big marketing lessons I've learned is... You have to have something that really sticks out and kind of makes your brand and it really drives that brand awareness. Because for us, it's something as simple as a blueberry lollipop or people love the blue, bear, blue packaging that we send things in. People love the night before Christmas poems that we have. So we just constantly, whenever we're doing marketing thing, it's not you know, what can we push out via social just because we want to push something out via social. We have no schedule. It's just whenever we have something of value enough that we want to share it that's when we share it we try to drive the most value like we don't want our marketing to just become marketing for the sake of marketing we want it all to be value driven and impactful for patients for pharmacists for whoever the intended audience of that marketing piece is when i have an idea for something social or something I can't do it and then wait till the next day. It's like I get an idea curve up there and it lasts mm-hmm. for about an hour and a half maybe. I got to do it, produce it, get it out in that time. If I got to save it till the next day, a lot of times I look at it and I say, oh, that's crappy. <laughs> so I'm my best critic when I'm in the middle of a good idea Yeah, because I don't criticize it. Yeah, You just act on it. Part of the problem with pharmacy is that there's not really a reason for people to talk about you. And so that dumb, dumb thing is fantastic. We send out a little card with everything, just reminds people to talk about us. But most people, you just don't sit around too often and just talk about your pharmacist. And proof for that, how often have you been sitting around and been talking about your ear, nose, and throat doctor to your siblings or talking about your last oil change or something like that? Now, If you do medical equipment, which we do, people see it. They say, oh, that's a nice multicolored cane you got there with lilacs on it or something like that. People see that and it's a conversation starter. But anything you can do to 
get that conversation going between mm-hmm. a couple of old ladies sitting there, do it. But they got to be reminded to talk about it. And I think that's one thing that I'll say that the model has really helped us with is that the fact that we are different, people do talk about it. Well, that's it with you guys because you've got that difference and they've made that change. Yeah. Like the other day, I don't know, I still don't know what was said, but I got a text, hey, some patient called into 100.7 the star and mentioned blueberry. <laughs> Give blueberry a shout out. Like, why? Like, what did I do that? Like, you always wonder what encourages. I feel like I just am a bad customer and consumer because I generally don't write reviews or react to things, but maybe I'm just not going to high quality in our locations. But um, yeah, no, it's, I'm so appreciative for our patients because they are our biggest advocates. And we have patients that literally next day will go back to their doctors. One stood in the room, in the waiting room until the doctor would come out to see her, not for an appointment, but to educate the doctor on the pharmacy. And oh, the is model. that right? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Like, I, I like I pay a pharmacist to go out and do a I could get through you walk doing it for free. That's fantastic. And honestly, that's more impactful than the paid marketing that we do, right? Oh, of course. If you so, can get people so, talking on that. Yeah. So whatever I mean, what we found is patient word of mouth is the singular biggest driver of our pharmacy in the in the model. And you see that with again back to Cuban. I, I don't know how much of this is hype and whatnot, but they said that they were only anticipating 300 to 400,000 patients in year one to sign up, but they have 1.7 million wow. accounts. And I think that it's truly just, this is what I encourage all independents to think about is one, uh, one proof of product market fit is the fact that in one year, 1.7 million people resonated with them. Yeah. It's just a model that resonates with people. Once people see the simplicity of it, Yes, it's very easy for them to see, make the decision if it's drug through insurance is going to be a hundred bucks, drug without insurance is going to be 20 bucks as a no brainer. But I think even the people that interact with the system that doesn't involve insurance, it's just a game changer. Even pharmacists, like once you start realizing that means no prior offs, no rejections, no, our overhead, our inventory is still $17,000. When the last time we talked, it was probably just like 10,000. Actually, it might have only been six, so maybe we've inflated our inventory a little too much. But but like, it's just that simple. And so it, it's something that is, this is so different from the way of doing things that I'm going to go talk about it. And so I think that's really what patients are realizing is, hey, this model, sometimes it costs us a little bit more than our, through our insurance, but hey, it's so different and it's such, a, such an experience that I'm going to talk about it. Having a face behind the business. You've got to be careful. My cousins, my uncle and then my cousins, they owned a fine dining restaurant. This was years ago. And the name is eponymous with their last name. And they were open, let's say, till midnight. The problem with that is that when you walk into fine dining, you want to see one of them. You want to tell your friend, oh, that's so-and-so last name. They're friends of mine and they said hi to me and, oh boy, Bill, you're a big shot because the owner of that with the same last name as a restaurant knows you. It's small, but people like prestige. A big part I think that Cuban had going is that he was one of the first persons to put a name and a face behind pharmacy. 
You just offended a lot of independent owners. <laughs> I know what you mean. On a, nation on a national wide. level. I meant yeah, on a national yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pharmacies kind of have that problem too because you have to be careful. If you're open for longer than 40, 45 hours a week and you say, this is Joe's Pharmacy and Joe's on every ad just like the gaudy mattress ads kind of thing. He's on everything and say, come down to Joe's Pharmacy. I'm Joe. Talk to me. You'll get the Joe's service and all that stuff. If you're open 60, 70 hours a week, Joe better be there if people come in thinking that Joe's going to be there. So for the uh -huh. longest time, I tried to remove myself a little bit from the store. If it was going to be a name associated, I did that with social media so that I could talk to a thousand people when I'm just sitting at my desk kind of thing. So they uh -huh. say, oh, there's Mike. I don't necessarily like to see him in the store because I see his name and his face associated with this. So that can be a struggle. With all that said, Cuban's the first one on a national level to put his name and his face on mail order kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's, I think that's pretty big. I think it's a true mark of how things have shifted towards influencer culture, right? Perfectly said. I think Phil's my pharmacist. I don't, has he been on yours? I heard, I heard him. I've reached out to him. He's our TikTok okay. guy. Yeah, right? TikTok guy. But just that level of people building up a brand, it's more about your distribution capacity. Like, like imagine I partnered with Elon Musk tomorrow. Yeah. We could be quickly at 1.7 million accounts, right? It's just that the distribution, your ability to distribute is superior than your product to some extent. The ability to distribute your name. Yes. Yeah. Your audience size is more important. Like we could be building the best pharmacy, grinding it out. That's kind of what was happening. We were grinding it out, grinding it out. Now at 2,000 patients, 3,000 patients, Mark Cuban launches, and because he's already has the name and the presence, that, that distribution, just even though he's not the pharmacist on staff, even though you don't walk in and see Mark Cuban there, that name and that recognition just means something. And so I think influencer in your audience size is and will be continue to grow in importance. So encourage any aspiring pharmacy owner to start building that audience now, which as you do with the podcast, I mean, you've got now an audience of owners that you're synonymous with podcast, right? And so, yeah, I think that influencer culture is only going to grow. And I think that Mark Cuban's realization of that's the way to grow the pharmacy is not to name it cost plus drug or just name it X mail order pharmacy, but to tie his name to it because he's that influencer, I think was really brilliant. There's people that have been close. Like you think about Nike owned by Phil Knight. He could kind of do it, but not quite. He was known. And so then Michael Jordan comes along. He's the face of that. Other guys have done it. Richard Branson from Virgin and of course, uh, Bezos from Amazon and so on. So it can be done, but I guess that's a lot of the reason people bring in the uh, talking heads because mm -hmm. they're just not big enough. Yeah. Influencer culture has been around for as long as there's been famous people. <laughs> I think the ability of anybody to build up something has grown as a result of social media. So I think that's really the importance of really anybody can build up an audience and yeah. the audience and the ability to distribute up to that audience is almost more important than the kind of product that you're offering. There's a guy online that I've kind of been watching, not closely, but we reached out to each other quickly. So now I see his stuff, but his thing is buying 
social media people. He's not buying a mailing list. He's buying a social media list. He's kind of like buying followers and not buying followers from one of these fake things. It's like if you had, Kyle, if you had something like, I don't know, let's say you had a big following, basically, and I'd come in and I'd buy your list, I'd start putting out stuff instead of you. So it's mm -hmm. not a mailing list. It's just the right. base of their social media. I don't know. I, I don't know how you'd even price something like that or how valuable that would be. Yeah. Because I, I, I feel like to, to the point of earlier about almost having your name associated and your face associated with something, once you lose that, I'd imagine in the social media space, the interest kind of falls. So, so to some extent, that's kind of the challenges we went through to a little bit with Blueberry whenever I started stepping back a little bit more certain days, not even being there is people expecting me to be there. You felt that firsthand, but you're not there. Do people expect you to be there? I guess with like Cuban, he's done it right, basically. His name's associated with it, but you don't expect to go in and see him kind of thing. Yeah, he's just the marketer for it. He's a marketer, <laughs> yeah. but happens to be yeah. the owner marketer, the involved The namesake, marketer. yeah. Definitely felt it firsthand when I started not being there some days. Definitely some of our regular patients were like, hey, you're never here anymore. I'm like, literally, I'm here every day. Like, I just stepped away for four hours. And you happen to come in for that four hour period. Like, and they didn't mean it in a bad way or anything like that. I was just like, yeah, no, literally here. And even whenever I'm not here, I'm doing work related things. So, <laughs> but it's that expectation of, oh, I've come to know you. I've come to trust you. Right. I really value our relationship. And now I don't see you. They, I've definitely felt that. So that's what, but people ask, like, what's your idea for scale with Blueberry? They say, oh, are you going to franchise it? Are you going to open more? At this point, our, we do have a consulting company that our goal is to help owners across the country either transform or build out their own cost plus pharmacies. But my goal for Blueberry, our goal for Blueberry, Robbie's Ravi, co-owner with me on that, is really just to continue building a very good, reputable, very well-trusted pharmacy. And I don't know what scale truly looks like for that because I don't really want to step away from the day-to-day -day of Blueberry. I love being a pharmacist. I love being that patient patient trusts and the relationships I've built up with those patients. So that's what brings me joy. That's what energizes me. So I don't really want to step away from that too much, but I do recognize that, you know, we started a movement. There's now interest in, there's a brand associated with that. So how do we best build from that? So that that's kind of the ongoing challenges of, okay, what next? Do you mail it all in Pennsylvania or not? Do you guys mail it all? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just Pennsylvania. We do have a license in Ohio, but we don't market in Ohio because there's a great Cosmos Pharmacy in Ohio. We just border Ohio. And so there's a few patients that, and it's very easy to get an Ohio license. So we do have a license in Ohio, but we don't market there and we do very few prescriptions. So, but we do mail all throughout Pennsylvania, anywhere from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, Erie and all stuff. You mentioned the consulting. Who's doing that? Yeah. So we formed, Robbie's co-owner of Blueberry Pharmacy. Who is? Uh, Robbie Patel. He's a professor at Pitt. He's been with me since a couple months after we opened in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I started getting a lot of questions, especially early on. It's like, hey, we haven't even proven out the model yet. Like, come back and check in. And, but we kept getting a lot of questions from independents across the country. Like, how do you do this? What do you do? And it's like, you can only answer so many of those for free before it's like, okay, schedule some time with me. We'll talk. <laughs> and so we got to thinking, and I'm so much into the day-to-day -day and my previous boss, who was also a previous owner of independent owner and 
really understands the independent pharmacy business, Stephanie Smith-Cooney, the three of us got together and said, okay, let's just form a consulting company. We have all this knowledge, three years of, now at this point, three years of knowledge, three years of experiences of building a cost-plus pharmacy. Got all these connections. You know, we basically talked to most of the cost-plus pharmacies across the country. We've even talked to Cuban's team, right? So having those connections, that, that experience, we were getting a lot of questions, like, let's just form a company. So we launched a company back in January of 2022, where we're helping just independents better understand the concept, answering questions around, what does this mean? Is this possible? How do we go about doing it? So, so that's been a lot of fun, had a lot of fun conversations with independents all over the place. The other thing we're doing is actually launching like a price checker single source price checker, right? One of the beauties of GoodRx is that uh, it had this network effect. You'd see cards in doctor's offices across the country. You went to a website, you know that somehow it would work in a community in, in your community, right? It had that network effect. People could start talking about it. So it's like, okay, Blueberry Pharmacy, people hear about us. How can we help other cost plus pharmacies across the country? Like we can't serve Texas. We can't serve Oregon, but there's people there that can. And so it's like, okay, let's just create a price checker that we can feed in other people's data and have it display their prices. And so that's what we did with costpluspharmacies.com. We created a basically a price checker for all these different cost plus pharmacies. And so that's the other big thing that we're working on now is helping with the network, helping build the network effect of cost plus. Mark even helped to bring some awareness to it, but how do we grow the independence in that area? If I get in the news about cost plus pharmacy, blueberry pharmacy, how can I then help that benefit every single cost plus pharmacy across the country? And then what we also thought about is, hey, GoodRx came into fame because they just mailed out business cards to doctor's offices across the country. Well, as we scale and as we have a cost plus pharmacy in every state, why don't we do the same thing? <laughs> like as costpluspharmacies.com, that way now it's like worth the time of each individual pharmacy to like talk about cost plus pharmacies because now there's a pharmacy in every single state and patients can go to that price checker and know that, hey, I'll find something. Right now it's a little lacking in that there's only like six states that you can actually search in. And so we're trying to grow that network effect to where more and more people, it's more valuable the more people that go to it. Kyle, what's your wildest dream in 10 years? Wildest dream would be that every single generic drug is sold without a PBM or insurance. So a fair and transparent open marketplace across the country where we are no longer pricing based on market price or pricing based on your value of time, my value of time, parts plus labor, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the wildest dream is that PBMs insurance are completely removed because these are low cost, less than a cup of coffee, acquisition costs, drugs. And there's no reason for a PBM to be involved in any of those transactions. Yeah. So that's the craziest dream is like down with PBMs for generic drugs. I don't know because that's also their profit center. So I'm not sure that they'd be willing to do that. But <laughs> we probably talked before. The analogy of that is we're not using insurance for new tires for our cars and oil changes and things like that. It's pretty much a known cost. And so let's get the middle people out of it. Yeah. Well, let's first make awareness around it actually being a known cost because it doesn't feel like a known cost to most consumers still, mm -hmm. unless they're aware of cost plus or different ways to see NADAC, different things like that. 
to a lot of people, prescribers, patients, it still feels like an unknown cost. And so walking into that void, being uncertain is scary for people. So they think, I'm insured, I'm good. And so bringing a lot more transparency to the marketplace will help people feel like, oh, this is a lot more like getting an oil change because I know the cost going into it. And hey, the cost is actually really low. Why even use insurance for this? Or it's going to raise my premiums in the long run. Just the same thought process that we go through with car insurance and whether or not to use our car insurance. I look forward to that time whenever we can see that in healthcare too. What would you like to be known for? So in other words, that's a goal of what people think about medicine. What would you like to be known for if people look back over this five-year period? Yeah, I mean, I'd be... I don't really care, but I probably honestly in the back of my head do care. <laughs> sure. Like as a pioneer, I can't say that I'm even the first. I don't know who the first is, but as a pioneer of the costless model, for sure, that'd be kind of cool. But honestly, what means the most to me is just patient affirmation and mm -hmm. knowing that I'm a good pharmacist and that I care for my patients. That's what means the most. That's what drives me every day is patient notes, patient thanks, thank yous, doctor thank yous. Yeah. Just knowing that I made an impact on somebody's life is the most important thing to me. We have to be conscious of price, but it's that plus part that also says that there's a value to what you're doing. That seems gratifying. Yeah. The problem with the PBM world is that we basically don't get paid dispensing fees anymore, so our price mm -hmm. is some ingredient submitted cost, right? And as much as we would like to argue that somehow my lupin generic atorvastatin is better than Giant Eagle's lupin generic atorvastatin, there's no argument there. Our difference, what we should be paid for, is that difference of service. It's a commodity. I don't care. I'll say it. Drugs are a commodity. And there is no difference. So we have to pass through that price and we have to make our money on that service, which is not at all how we get paid in the PBM world. We make money by buying low and selling high because we've negotiated things down to where we basically don't get charged a service fee anymore. So we really have to change that incentive structure. As Nate said on your podcast, we get really good at what we get paid to do. So in the traditional model, we're probably really good at finding things that we make money on. and But in the cost plus world, we get paid the same every time we perform a service. So we just get really good at performing that service. Uh, and it's a lot better. It's a much more realignment of healthcare incentives where you even said it like in that podcast is I feel bad, but you know, I'm incentivized to provide more attention to the person that I'm making money on and provide less attention to the person that I'm not making money or even losing money on. Yep. And that can't be an incentive. That's not an incentive for health care, but not at all. That's just, might, have, might be how you look at like another retail sector that's not care-based, but like that can't be how we view health care. So we really have to fight for a change to the reimbursement model, not just a change to PBM oversight, but literally getting paid for our service because that service is the same whether I'm putting a label on it tech Federa prescription, because let's be honest, I don't even have to count it out, uh, or counting out four capsules of amoxicillin. Those drugs are the same. Our service is, you know, what we need to get paid for. Well, Kyle, boy, it's sure fun watching you online and seeing the stuff that you're doing. Keep that up. The message behind it is certainly very important. 
Well, thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate you having me on and catching up again. It's a good check-in and your podcasts are great, so keep doing it. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Yes, definitely. Happy to. Thanks, Kyle. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes. Thank you.